Today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones. Building in Faith. It's through the name of Jesus that we are forgiven. A person has to accept Christ, has to know Him, has to have a relationship with Him. Please, please, don't put your trust in a church. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can save you from your sin. He's the only one that could bring redemption to you. None of us could die for your sins. Reaching up high with arms open wide we see You're changing our lives so we can be your hands and Have you noticed how diametrically opposed culture is becoming to the name of Jesus? Why is that? Because Jesus represents an extremely narrow way to God. Most other forms of religious expression have various ways to get to heaven. Christianity stands alone by saying Jesus is the only way. That is why people hate the name of Jesus so much. Today, Pastor Ed will show through the text that there is no other name by which a person can be saved. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's message entitled, Jesus is Alive. be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? We are so prone to doubt and fear. We are so prone to believe our doubts rather than to believe God. That's the fallen aspect of our human nature. That's the bent of our fallen nature. Again and again, God can speak to us and we seem to forget it. We seem to let those words slip from our mind and be stolen from our heart. Jesus addressed their doubts. Aren't you glad that Jesus just didn't, I mean, rake them over the cold rebuked them harshly. He was so gentle with them because he knows our human nature. He was so gentle with them in the way he dealt with their faults and their failures and their unbelief. He said, see, touch me. I'm here. Oftentimes, I believe that God comes to his people Again and again. You're sitting in a service and there's a prophetic word and you just know that you know it was for you. You're somehow doing something and all of a sudden someone says something and it's like you hear the voice of God. And you just know that God's speaking to you. He's touched your body. He's put peace in your soul in the midst of a storm where you could explain it no other way. He's opened doors that you couldn't open yourself. He's done things for you that you know are just supernatural. How is everything going to be affected now for them? And Now that he's risen, what does that mean? The disciples had more questions than they had answers. They wondered, okay, he, he's alive. 
But what does that mean to me? Will he now sit on the throne of David and change the nation of Israel? Will he continue to walk by the Sea of Galilee and heal the sick? What's going to be the results of his resurrection? And I'm sure they had all sorts of questions, but he was telling them he was going to ascend. He was going to go back to the Father. What did that mean for them? There are times that we can't fully interpret God and understand God in our lives. Times it feels like you're living on the slope of a question mark. Where you have more questions than you have answers. At those times, take your doubts, your fears, lay them at his feet, and expect and believe that God will reveal over time his will. He does. He did to the disciples because they weren't sure how everything was fully going to work out. But their lives would be forever altered by their encounter with the risen Savior. They had a new purpose, a new mission, a new destiny, a new direction. Their lives were changed permanently and forever as they embraced the resurrected Christ, as they believed, as they received. And so our lives, when we fully embrace and fully receive, it's changed. Now, they could have walked out and said, Lord, we're not going to follow you. Their life would have gone on and nothing would have been changed. But when you really encounter the risen Lord and you follow him, and you live in the light of Easter, your life is never the same. Every experience that we have must be, has to be, grounded in Scripture. There are people who are in some New Age religion and experience some mystical type of experience, and they put this interpretation to it, and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, and they, and they begin to believe all sorts of things. There are people in the cults, there are people who are Buddha, uh, worship Buddha, who worship Muhammad, and they have all these religious experiences, but those religious experiences are often false and unreal and subjective. Jesus grounded the events and their experience the physical resurrection and the experience in Scripture. Where does he take them? Well, in verses 44 to 45, he says, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their mind to understand the Scriptures. Very early on in Jesus' ministry, he said to the religious leaders, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness of me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus reproved, corrected the religious leaders because they searched the scriptures and the scriptures testified of him, all the way from Genesis to Malachi in the Old Testament, they testify about Jesus. Now, I would have loved to hear Jesus expound 
the Old Testament pictures of him. Imagine how he would have opened up the law to them and show them how the, how the whole sacrificial system pointed to him. He was the Lamb of God that would be slain to take away the sins of the world. And every time the high priest would go in and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, it would be speaking about Jesus Christ. Every time a priest would offer a lamb, a sacrifice, it would be pointing towards him. When Abraham took his son Isaac up to Mount Moriah and was ready to offer him on an altar of sacrifice, it was a prefigure of Jesus. He went right through the Old Testament he took him into the prophets. And the early church followed Jesus' example. In the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 53, we have minute description of Christ dying for us. That was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And in the scripture, again and again, you see the New Testament church going back to that. In Acts chapter 8, the evangelist Philip was having a revival meeting and God said, I want you to go into the desert. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch who was reading the book of Isaiah. And God spoke to Philip. He said, go up beside this Ethiopian eunuch. So he ran up beside him and he was reading Isaiah chapter 53. And Philip said, what are you reading? He says, well, I'm reading the prophets. I, I don't understand it. And Philip explained it to him and he led that Ethiopian unit to the Lord and there he was baptized in the desert see again and again the New Testament church used the Old Testament to prove who Jesus Christ was Psalm 22 it speaks about the suffering of Jesus on the cross if you look at that Psalm you realize that David didn't experience that he couldn't have experienced that but that clearly it's a messianic prophecy concerning Messiah when he dies on the cross. So one by one, Jesus took the disciples through Old Testament, through the law, through the prophet, through the Psalms, showing that he had to die, suffer, and be raised from the dead, and that he was Messiah. Our faith is built on a firm foundation. Our faith is built on a physical fact that Jesus physically was raised from the dead. There would be no church if he had not. It's based on an experience. We, along with that early church, have experienced the presence of God. We've experienced encounters with him. You come in the church and sometimes you just are overwhelmed with his presence. Throughout the journey of life, you could look back and journal. There are seasons when God does seem distant, but there are seasons when he is so near and you know it. We know from the sacred scriptures that Jesus Christ is alive. James Stewart, a preacher, said, Christianity is essentially a religion of resurrection. That's our hope that's what we focus on the resurrection now we have the evidence of that resurrection the evidence that he's alive but there was an assignment given to those he encountered to those that knew he was alive if we are Easter Christians Men and women who believe in the resurrected Lord, we've been given an assignment. That assignment means that we're to proclaim. We're to shout a proclamation. 
God blessed Abraham so that he might be a blessing. God gives you light so that you might be a light, a light to this lost world. The proclamation in verses 46 to 47, he said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Now, we're going to camp on this for a moment. It's written that Christ should suffer, that he should rise from the dead. Notice it's an offer of forgiveness, but forgiveness is connected to repentance. It wasn't forgiveness in mass for any and every reason. No, no, it was forgiveness that followed repentance. We can't hold on to sin and hold on to Christ. To repent means I drop sin and I follow Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you have arrived. But it means you're going in the right direction, that you're not comfortable in sin. You're not comfortable doing the wrong thing. You want to do the right thing. And so repentance, being Sorry for sin and turning away from sin and turning to God is a condition. So repentance, forgiveness should be proclaimed in whose name? His name. That's the only name that brings forgiveness. The early church again preached that. One of the great illustrations is found in the book of Acts, the 10th chapter. Cornelius was one of the most godly Gentiles that you could imagine. I mean, he gave money to the Jewish nation. He offered sacrifices. He was like a God-fearer, but he didn't know God personally. But yet God heard his prayers. The Bible says that in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, I want to read some of the verses to you. And Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the nine hour, and behold, the man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. And then he was told that he was to send for Peter. And Peter would tell him something important. Something that he had to listen to. The way of salvation. So Peter comes to his house. And Peter begins to preach. And he says, God raised Jesus on the third day and made him appear. And then he goes on to say, and commanded us to preach to people and to testify that it is the one God appointed to be judge of living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. It's through the name of Jesus that we are forgiven. A person has to accept Christ, has to know him, has to have a relationship with him. Please, please, don't put your trust in a church don't put your trust in a minister don't put your trust in a religious institution put your trust in Jesus Christ he is the only one that can save you from your sin he's the only one that could bring redemption to you none of us could die for your sins the godliest of saints the best of men the greatest of angels could not pay for your sin. It took God giving his son. In Acts 
And there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name but the name of Jesus. That's the only name. And that's our proclamation. Now, it's interesting in our culture, it's becoming harder and harder to say that name. It is, right? I mean, you can curse and you can swear and nobody says anything, but say his name. Oh, the name of Jesus. All of a sudden, everybody's offended. You know, that's politically incorrect. But that's the only name given unto men whereby we must be saved. And the devil doesn't want that name proclaimed. He only wants it used as a swear word, not as a prayer word. Jesus Christ is the only name. We have an assignment. That assignment is proclamation. A.W. Tozer said, the moral obligation of the resurrection of Christ is the missionary obligation. The responsibility and privilege of carrying the message and telling the story, of praying and interceding, of being involved personally and financially in the cause of the Great Commission. We have an obligation of proclamation. Now, this assignment is to be a witness. That's our occupation. In 2448, it says, you are witnesses of these things. I read a story about a tribe in Zaire and they were celebrating the coming of missionaries to their community. A number of the tribe's people have been saved, gloriously changed and they were telling their stories and singing and celebrating. Judy, one of the daughters of a missionary related how an older man in the tribe at the end of the celebration came up and said, I have to share because if I die and I feel like I'm going, he said, to die soon, no one will know this story and I have to tell you. He said, when the missionaries first came, we didn't know if what they were telling was true. We didn't know whether to believe them or not. So we decided to test them. We put poison in their food. He said, we watched some of them die slowly. They didn't know why they were dying. They didn't know what was happening. Some died over the course of years. Some died in a short time. We put different amounts of poison in. But we watched the way they died. And we observed the way they died. And when we saw that, we realized that their faith was real. They died with faith and belief and a confidence in an afterlife, in God. And because of the way they died, we accepted their message. If people were to watch the way we live and the way we die, the way we live out our lives, would the Easter story be clear to them? Would they know that we believe in the resurrection? Would they recognize that we put far more weight on eternity than the few moments of time we have in this present world? That we look 
for that great coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we believe in eternal life, would our lives convince them of the truth? It was John Blanchard who said, the resurrection of Jesus demands not our applause, but our allegiance. Not our compliments, but our capitulation. The resurrection of Jesus demands that we give him all. Jesus Christ took the initiative. He came and appeared to people. He visited them. He showed himself physically and they experienced him. And, and the scriptures bore out the truth of that encounter. Today, some of you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. It's the most important decision that you ever make. I want to encourage you to follow Jesus to walk with him and receive him personally as Lord and Savior. Others, you believe, but you're not quite sure how the resurrection really impacts you. In fact, you're one of those silent Christians. People don't really know where you stand. We have a responsibility to proclaim we have a responsibility to be witnesses. Our lives are an assignment to show the world that Jesus Christ is risen. The word witness is the same Greek word that we use for martyr. If you're going to be a witness, you have to die to self. You have to die to your own life so that you might live for Christ. And this morning... As we bring the service to a close, I'm going to ask you, are we Easter Christians living in the truth and the reality of Easter? Has it impacted you and motivated you? I, I pray that it does for all of us. That it's more than just some message that we hear and it just sort of goes over our heads. Just like the disciples, they heard but they really didn't hear. They heard, but it really didn't change them. This morning, I want to ask you, as we bow our heads, as we close our eyes, Jesus, the risen Savior, is here. He's alive. He's living. To live in the light of that truth is transformational. To live in the light of that truth will make a difference in your everyday life, how you spend your time, how you use your resources, how you live in this present world. Father, I just pray that our lives would be a living testament of the risen Christ. That Lord, when we're put to the test, and people are watching how we're living, how we are even going from day to day, experiencing life, how we're responding to the trials. May our lives be a testament to the resurrection of Jesus. May it proclaim clearly that Jesus is alive. I ask you that we'll be living epistles. I thank you, Lord, that you knock at the door of every man's heart. 
that you pursue us so that we might follow you. I ask in Jesus' name that our lives would be transformed by the power of Jesus. Amen. The Gospels are Grand Central Station for learning about Jesus, which is the single most important part of our lives as Christians. Please join us each day as Pastor Ed teaches through the Gospel of Luke. You've been listening to Building in Faith, the radio ministry of Dr. Edward Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. Now, we want to encourage you to log on to buildinginfaithradio.com and spend some time getting to know us. There you can find today's message. The only thing you need to remember is today's date. Again, to stay current with what's being broadcasted here on Building in Faith and to access the archive of messages, log on to buildinginfaithradio.com. Or if you'd like, you can always give us a call. Our phone number is 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next edition of Building in Faith. On behalf of Pastor Ed, Faith Assembly, and the entire production team, we want to say thank you for joining us and come back next time for another edition of Building in Faith.